We have a few scriptures to read today. Our first one is from the Old Testament, the book of Jonah, chapter 4, verse 2. He prayed to the Lord and said, Oh, Lord, is this not what I said while I was still in my own country? That is why I fled to Tarshish at the beginning, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, and ready to relent from punishing. Now we'll do a lesson from the gospel. Let us stand in body or spirit as we read from the gospel. Our first gospel lesson comes from Matthew, book 5, 44 to 46. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And continuing from John chapter 12, verses 44 through 46. Then Jesus cried aloud, Whoever believes in me believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me sees him who sent me. I have come as light into the world, so that everyone who believes in me should not remain in the darkness. Continuing in 1 John 1, um, verses 4 and 5. We are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. And one more from Colossians 1, verse 15. Christ is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Over the years, uh, some parents or grandparents in congregations I've served have asked me, what do I say to my kids when they tell me that they don't believe in God anymore? Some of you may have heard your kids say that or your grandkids say that. It's a, a natural and honest way of people kind of staking their flag of independence in the ground and saying, I'm no longer a part of your belief system. I don't believe in God anymore. Very often when I'm at a um, social situation where uh, I'm meeting people and they don't know what I do for a living, I usually don't play the pastor card first. Because that can really either stop a conversation or head a conversation in a way that's kind of, um, well, there's some crazy directions that statement makes. So when I do finally, if they really press me on that and, and I say, yeah, I'm a pastor in a Christian church, they either say, oh, I'm a Christian too, and they tell me all about their faith life, or they say, oh, I don't believe in God anymore, or I don't believe in God. And I usually respond, if I have the time, which 
I hope I do because it's a wonderful uh, opportunity. I say, tell me about the God you don't believe in. Tell me about the God you don't believe in. And they say, well, I don't believe in a God who has a white beard and is up in the clouds. And I say, yeah, I don't believe in that God either. I don't believe in a God, they say, often who is whimsical and sometimes is loving and sometimes is violent. And I say, yeah, I, I don't believe in that God either. Some say, I don't believe in a God who likes some people and dislikes others. And I say, yeah, I don't believe in that God either. And after this goes on for a while, they usually say, well, if you are a pastor and you don't believe in that God, what kind of God do you believe in? Ah, then there's doors that open to have some good conversation about who God is and who God is not. Sometimes people say, I don't believe in God. I read the, the, uh, the scriptures in the Hebrew texts and even in some of the New Testament that has been interpreted by Christians for 2,000 years, and it all just creates violence and violent people. And I say, yeah, that's often true. People read the scriptures and feel like that justifies being violent Christians or violent people of faith. And the Hebrew scriptures have plenty of stories of God seeming to be pretty violent, pretty bloodthirsty. So what do we do with those texts? What do we do with that God image? You know that the Hebrew scriptures were not written by one person. The Old Testament, the Hebrew scriptures were written by hundreds of people. And it's like a library. Instead of one book, it's a library. And in that library are many different God images, some of which are pretty violent, others of which Rob read today from Jonah. And this particular passage is throughout the Hebrew Scriptures. If you do a search on this, you'll see God is often referred to in the Hebrew text as a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. So the choice we have is, do we choose to believe in this God, or do we choose to believe in a violent God image? That's our choice. But both are there throughout the Hebrew texts. Now for Christians, we look through the lenses of Christ. Does it match with what Jesus said and did, taught, lived, died, and was risen? Does it fit that narrative of God? Because in the scriptures that were read today from the New Testament, Jesus talks of a God who makes the sun rise on the evil and the good, and a God who sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous, this kind of God is indiscriminately blessing people. Jesus said in the Gospel of John, whoever believes in me, believes not in me, but he who sent me, and whoever 
sees me, sees the one who sent me. I have come as the light into the world so that everyone who believes in me should not remain in darkness. And then in, in 1 John, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. No darkness, only light. So when we're looking at Jesus, according to the early church, Christ is the image of the invisible God. Christ is the image of the invisible God. So if Christ is the face of the Creator, if we believe in a Trinitarian God, the one who creates us, redeems us, and sustains us, if we believe Christ is the face of God, then the universe is a benevolent place. Then the very nature of the cosmos is built on love, as Teilhard de Chardin said. The very fabric of creation is love, if we believe in Jesus. Friends, this is really important to us. Who is our God? What is our God image? And do we need to outgrow our God image? Because if our God image is experiencing stunted growth, if we went to Sunday school and that was it, that God image is not sufficient. It's not enough. It's not enough to help God work through us. You've heard me talk about The Great Spiritual Migration, a book by Brian McLaren. There's copies of it down the hall. I hope you'll get a copy. It's much better to read than to hear me paraphrase it. But there are three migrations that are already happening in Western Christianity. Many churches in this country are making these spiritual migrations. Um, and our congregation in Chatham shows some evidence that we are also a part of this migration. The first migration is moving from a church of belief systems to a church that believes in a way of life. That it's not just about what we believe, it's how we live it out. It's not what we say on Sunday morning, it's how we live it out on Monday morning that's more important. The second great spiritual migration is a theological one, and it's moving from a violent God image of domination to a nonviolent God image of liberation. And I won't go into it fully today, but our God image has a lot of baggage to it that is steeped certainly in the last 500 years of Christian church history and our God image that's been passed on to us from generation to generation has not always been helpful. In fact, sometimes it's downright frightening. The third image, which I'll, the third movement, the Great Migration, I'll talk about next week, is moving from organized religion to reorganized religion around care for the common good. And we've seen glimpses of that here in Chatham, too. I'll preach about that next week. I just want to talk briefly about how Brian McLaren 
um, articulates a God image progression. You know, we are all progressing. We, we grow in development, we grow in maturity, in our understanding of self, in our understanding of our own family system, in our understanding of God. And it needs to be changing. And so sometimes when people say, I don't believe in God, I say, great, wonderful. That means you're giving up your old God image. And it's time to discover a new God image, one that works for you, one that works for your context, one that works in light of our situations. So Brian says there are five images of God, a God 1.0, God 2.0, 3.0, 4.0, and 5.0. The God 1.0 image we get when we're pre-verbal, when we are babies in our mother's or father's arms, and we have a sense of this person, this, I don't know what we think as babies, but this entity that's holding us and caring for us and loving us, feeding us and changing our diapers, that is as close to a God image as we can get. A God who provides for us. It's God 1.0. It is a wonderful God image for infants to have. God 2.0, some of you who have taught Sunday school before or who have raised toddlers, do you remember that? By the way, do you remember that season of your life where Cheerios were everywhere in your house and your car? You, they even had Cheerio containers that were supposed to keep them all. Well, that didn't work. Cheerios were everywhere for a certain season of life. Do you remember the time where you, when you would hand your kids a Cheerio and they could grab it? You knew that that was the when they could eat solid food. And then there was a, a period of time where they would put it in their mouth and they'd look at you and they would take it out of their mouth and give it to you. And we would just melt. Because we knew our kids were learning to share, to feed someone else. When God sees that kind of behavior in us and we re respond to that kind of God, that's God 2.0. A wonderful God image, a God who delights in us when we begin to share. God 3.0 is when we realize that there are certain written rules and unwritten rules to being faithful. And we get the lesson well, and it's a good lesson, be kind, care for others, share. These are good things for a 3.0 God image. And Usually kids get that. A God 4.0 God image is when we realize that we're part of a congregation. Our kids, are when they grow up in a congregation, they feel like we're in a good group. We care for each other, and we even feel like our church is better than other, other churches. Our tribe and our family and our people, whoever that is, we are better than someone else. Now, that's an okay part of our development, but it's not good when we get stuck in a God 4.0 image. Because this is how you know we're stuck in a God 4.0 image. When God seems to hate the same people we hate. Yeah? When we don't like someone and we can certainly assuredly say, well, God doesn't like them either. That's 4.0 God image. Jesus came to bring us to what McLaren calls a God 5.0 image. A God 5.0 who can say, love your enemies. 
If we're not at a God 5.0 understanding of God, most of the teachings of Jesus don't make sense. Let me just read a few things. On page 98, here's a description of some of where we can be in this developmental chart. He describes one of the problems. We often get stuck on an early version of God. Many of us are still angry and bitter that God 1.0 hasn't solved all our problems and made life as cozy and easy as a warm blanket and a dry diaper. The God that many alienated former believers have rejected is God 1.0. Do you see what happens? God doesn't care for us like God did at a 1.0 level, and we say, I'm done with this God, and they leave. For others, God 2.0 is all they can handle, a gracious God who wants us all to be nice and get along. Some really like a world defined by rules, so for them, God 3.0 is their favorite, and they would very much like to impose God 3.0 on everyone else too. Of course, you may then realize that you would also like to convert everyone to the loving God 4.0. You wish everyone could migrate from selfishness to other-centeredness, from self-interest to the common good, from me to we. You've arrived at God 4.0 and wish everyone else would too. And the next chapter is entitled, God 4.0 is not enough. Let me just briefly share why. We need God 5.0 to emerge. By the way, 5.0 is the God who loves everyone. Full stop. The God who we read about in the scriptures that says, God reigns on the just and the unjust. That's God 5.0, who has no limits for love. We need a God of the inclusive we. The God not just for us, but for all of us. Only a bigger, non-dualistic God can unite us and them in an inclusive identity that is not limited to a tribe or nation, but that extends to all humanity and not just all humanity, but to all living things and not just to all living things, but to all the planetary ecosystems in which we share. We need to migrate to a grown-up God. We need 5.0 God to lead us away from the precipice of cataclysmic war. We need God 5.0 to save us from paralyzing polarization. We need God 5.0 to teach us to wisely revere and care for the earth upon which all depend. We need God 5.0 because we now realize we have evolved together with all other forms of life on this tiny, fragile planet, which means that all creatures are our relatives, our relations, we are all part of one family tree, one web of life, 
And we need our understanding of God to embrace that reality. He goes on to describe our faith as rings of trees. We, we grow another ring. We don't exclude the first primary understandings of God. We include them. Richard Rohr says we transcend and include. Transcend and include. We don't throw it away. We see this in the scriptures. When Moses is given the Ten Commandments, he doesn't say that Abraham's religion was wrong because he didn't have them. And when Solomon builds an elaborate temple of stone, he doesn't say Moses' religion was wrong because he only had a tent of cloth. And when the prophets Amos, Isaiah, and Micah come along, they don't advocate rejecting their religion and culture, even though they are highly critical of its spiritual hypocrisy and social injustice, they want their religion to expand, to evolve, to learn and grow. The same is true of Jesus. He came, he said, not to abolish or replace, but to fulfill what came before him. Fast forward a few pages. Here are some of the models, the witnesses of 5.0 God at work in our world today. Some of these will sound familiar. Theologians and educators like James Allison, Michael Hardin, and Suzanne Ross have been unlocking the work of René Girard, a new anthropological insight into why the concept of God has been so bloody throughout history. In mass media, powerful figures like Oprah Winfrey, Bill Moyers, and Krista Tippett have given creative thinkers like Father Richard Rohr, Catherine Hayhoe, Barbara Brown Taylor, and Rob Bell a platform. And while all this has been going on, from Taizé in France to Iona in Scotland to retreat centers around the world, thousands of Christians across denominations have been rediscovering the contemplative and monastic traditions these spiritual seekers have, with the help of contemplatives and mystics, embraced a vision of God that is bigger and deeper than God 4.0. A God of unfathomable compassion who can be encountered through spiritual practices and silent solitude, not just through words and arguments and longer words, and hotter arguments. Friends, the Holy Spirit is beckoning, inviting, wooing us to discover again and again a God 5.0, a God who some mystics and Brother Roger of Tizay often said, a God who can only love, it will certainly be a blessing to us. But a God 5.0 that we walk with daily can transform us, can transform the church, and by so doing, use us out there to transform the world Nothing less than a God 5.0, a God of love, a God of compassion can do that. 
God 5.0 loves us, each of us here. And the same God 5.0 loves everyone out there and all of creation. This is the God of Jesus. This is the God we worship today. Thanks be to God. Would you join me in saying that? Thanks be to God. Amen.